Whose will are you feeding? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk and walk it too. Kick us right off, Chris. All right, right on. So, what kind of a doctor is Dr. Pepper? Hmm. I feel like I've heard this, but... You have. I know you have. I can't remember. He's a physician. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'd heard that before because otherwise I would have looked at you like, what's the joke? I don't get what's it. What's a physician? <laughs> a doctor is a physician. What's funny about that? What's funny? <laughs> no, that's from uh, that's from Joe too. Is it? I'm stealing a lot from him. Yeah, so that's probably why you've seen it. You're going to have to just start bringing him. I, I will. I've, I've We've talked about it. so Yeah. I would like to have him on. That'd be fun. Right on. Yeah. So what's been going on with you this week? Uh, not a whole lot to tell you the honest truth. I mean... Still studying out the the three things that people are in their life. You know, son or daughter, husband, wife, and uh, father or mother. Um, some rabbit holes there, kind of. And, and it's funny, the more that I, the more that I look at it, the more I see in social media and in the news, I guess, where like typical roles are being attacked right in, in today's society more so than ever and it's not just it's not just the the male model the the model male male model model of a male i don't know how you would word Big that one. the yeah <laughs> the typical male role model i guess i don't know um it's i mean even the roles of females are being attacked Mm -hmm. you know uh, we talked about it before you know there's evidence of i mean it's it's funny ben was it ben shapiro i seen him this last week he's like you know the only nowadays the only great women are men (laughs) that shouldn't be funny but it's not it shouldn't be funny but it's like it's like the the hilarity lies in the irony of it yeah like you know when we talk it's painfully like you have to laugh because there's nothing else you can do right it hurts so much all you can do is laugh right so you know and you know we talked i think it was briefly last week episodes are kind of running together but about how with the 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 feminist movement has been hijacked you know Mm -hmm. you know but that led full circle to now you know I guess you would call real feminists are attempting to to take that back. Right. And there's there's a handful out there that, you know, like I guess right now and I and I'm gonna I think I'm gonna butcher the name. Um Leah Thomas is winning all the yeah, I was gonna bring that up when you the, mentioned it. Yeah, breaking all these records and but now there's moms that are are speaking out against that, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't you know, they were essentially they were told to 
by the, I think it was by the NCAA not to say anything about it. And, uh, and now they're like, no, we're not, we're not doing that no more. No, so, they shouldn't. Real, real women are having their life's work stolen from them. Right. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. real winners. Right. Are, are getting second and third place. Right. So. Or fourth and getting yeah. cut out altogether. Getting cut out altogether. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, their, their platforms are being stolen as well as ours. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, kind of, I try to be positive about stuff, but it just, you know, the more you look at this stuff, the more you're kind of get, I don't know, I don't want to say depressed, but you kind of get downtrodden about it of, you know, where, where are we going with this? Where's, where's the end goal? Where's it right. going to, where's it going to stop? You know, we talked briefly about, um, you know, the, the kids movie last week, you know, yeah. se- sexualizing the children. And, but now I've, I've, I've heard another reviewer and from that was reading parent reviews and there was a whole nother aspect of, of the movie that I didn't really hardly catch because I was so focused on the one problem is the, the child throughout the whole entire, the main protagonist throughout the whole entire show or the whole entire movie was pretty much rebelling against their parents and being very, very disobedient but you know how most kids' movies, they kind of wrap it up at the end and with and tie a little bow on it that says, you know, like, it's okay to be your own person, but respect your elders. And, you know, like, there's some big... There's a moral there's lesson There's a moral somewhere. lesson. A yeah, there, moral lesson. Yeah, there was none. Of at course the end. not. Nope. It was... If... As long as you're... If you're defined enough, it'll work out in the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of... Kids' movies, you know. Almost to the point where I'm like, I'm gonna, I, I'm just gonna name it. I, I'm I'm close to canceling my Disney Plus subscription. There's a, and we'll get you into know. that in the second half of the episode. But there's a lot that we just cut out. Felt convicted to just cut things out, and the more, the more things like you're talking about progress, the more I'm seeing why the spirit had us do that. Mm-hmm. It's very corrupting, and it's not just corrupting of children. It's just corrupting in general. Right. It's it's not good. You know, you mentioned that you try to stay positive, and that's that's good. We shouldn't we shouldn't dwell on negativity, right? But right. at some point, somebody of faith has to stand up. They ain't right, right? You know what I mean? Somebody has to be the Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be the Jeremiah. It sucks, <laughs> but somebody's right. got to do it. And the problem is, I, I think a contributing factor is that. Even believers, even churches, they kind of frown on you if you stand up and, and point out these things that God clearly says is not good, clearly calls unholy mm-hmm. or unclean, and they they treat you like you're divisive. Something right. we kind of talked about off rec- off recording, right? And I don't want to get into specifics, but it's very aggravating, you know, that even even among believers you almost get browbeaten into silence. It seems like there are, and I didn't know if I wanted to mention this, but I'm going to, because there's a lot I could talk about this week. You know, I've I've talked to you. Mm -hmm. There's a lot I could say, probably very little I should say. Right. (laughs) As is typically the case. So I'm going to try to tread lightly. Mm -hmm. But it seems like, and this especially applies to the most successful churches. Because let's be real, man. you You don't build a successful church in America anymore by preaching the entire truth. You just don't. 
you pick and choose the moral lines that are most popular and you cut out the rest and you call it Jewish tradition. That's what typically gets done. Right. And there are three groups that you tend to fall into. You're either part of the preacher's te- teacher's club with a Bible college degree and you know you agree to, to, to promote all those popular doctrines that make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. You're part of the cheer squad that cheers those in the first group on mm-hmm. and viciously attacks anybody that says, hey, this ain't right. Right. Or you sit down in the pariah corner and you shut up and you don't say anything. Right. And if you don't agree to be silent, you get pushed out, you get divided, and then you get accused of being the divider. I've seen this happen over and over and over and over again in my experience. If you stand up and you encourage people to obey the Father, like we're told repeatedly by Jesus to do, mm-hmm. then you get called a divider and you get pushed out of the group. Right. The irony of that. It's aggravating. Yes. If I could, you remember when we were in high school, Nathan used to bring, I hope that that mouth pop you just made comes to the I hope it does too. I'm like, <laughs> where did that come from? I don't know why you did that. That was weird. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure that came through. <laughs> you remember when Nathan would come, I think it was our senior year, and he would bring like the word of the day. Uh-huh. It'd be some goofy. He'd usually try to pick some obscure word yeah. that was probably not the best thing to be using through the day and hope right. the teachers didn't know any better. Right. But yeah. the goal was to use it as much as possible. That word was supposed to define your day. If a word could define every day of my past week, it would be rejection. It would be rejection. It's hard. It is. And I know the enemy used it. And it was a test. And I don't know if I fully passed it. Right. <laughs> I think I, I think it's a little bit of, a, maybe I got a C plus. Right. Which is better than right. my failing grade I was getting. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's still on the curve. You're yeah, still, maybe. Still, on, still haven't got the results back yet. So I'm, I'm going to try to be as vague as possible because I don't want to call people out because I don't think that's helpful, even though I get kind of accused of that, but I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. But I took part in, just call it a faith project last, last year. Okay. And I was very passionate about it. They needed help. They asked for help and you know me. I, I don't say no. Right. I, you know, I, I say yes, even when I don't want to, and then I pour myself out for it. Right. And that's what I did. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I found out this week that I just sort of got quietly cut out of it. Not approached. Mm-hmm. And I have my suspicions as to why. Right. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't hide my theology. I don't hide my faith. I believe that we should be obeying the commandments. Mm-hmm. I believe that it's a deception that says that we shouldn't. And I'm not quiet about that. Right. And I felt very rejected. And rightfully so, but not so rightfully so. I colored that feeling of rejection, that emotional response onto interactions I was having with other believers, I think. And I was, I think I was approaching, I think the enemy took an opportunity to get me to try to, to, to force a wedge between myself and other believers Mm -hmm. with that thought that typical, typical church behavior, right? you know, I've experienced it before. They're all the same. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that colors my my responses, and that's not good. Right. It's just sort of what we talked about a little bit before we hit record, and, and I'll bring it up here. We've got to guard against our emotionalism. Mm-hmm. We really, really do. 
a lot of pastors are very good at manipulating emotions. And the reason they do it is because it softens you up. Right. And it makes you vulnerable. And that can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you need to be vulnerable for Jesus to, to work in you, that's good. Where it's not so good is when you become vulnerable for bad behavior. Right. Or bad theology. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I became vulnerable to bad behavior or bad re- reactions. Right. Instead of being responsive, I was reactionary. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to put it in any other words than, you know, than broken feelings, right? Broken mm-hmm. feelings lead to vulnerability. And that, you know, I think you're more susceptible to, I don't know if manipulation is the right word, but, you know, I mean, like you said, you, you felt rejected, broken, hurt, hurt, right? So I feel like maybe that's the opportunity the enemy used. So you would paint with a broad paintbrush, right? Yes. You would, you would paint everybody into the against me category, right? Yeah. I think that's almost a tool that he uses in a sense where, you know, isolation is the worst thing, right? So if you feel isolated from your brothers and your sisters in Christ, you're more susceptible to to him leading you astray. Exactly. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. And I've experienced that on the on the bad end of it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's not a good place to be. I will say though, you know, church is not a building. Right. Right. Church is not a building. It's 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 believers standing side by side with one another for one another's greater good. Mm-hmm. And if your only option for church buildings are led by individuals that are that are pointing you in a bad direction on a rebellious road toward disobeying the Father, you're better off not going. Right. You're better off finding like-minded believers to gather in your own home mm-hmm. and to go there. I, I do think there's a bully tactic used that that leads it leads you into into, into thinking that you have to go to a, a an official prescribed assembly. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, with a bro- with a nice mortar. Yeah. Exactly. With a nice one point five million dollar building and you know good branding and a logo. <laughs> it's right. not church. Right. right. And that that highlights my my concern is that I think far too many believers they've had an encounter with church, but they haven't had an encounter with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. They've conflated those two things like it's the same. Right. I heard a pastor locally recently tell their congregation that if you don't go to church, you can't possibly follow Jesus. That's not true. Right. It makes it easier to stay, to keep from falling off the rails. Mm-hmm. Right. You have, as Ronnie puts it, your fail safes. That's right. a great thing. That's not the same as following Jesus. Mm-mm. It's not the same, especially when, if your only option for church is leading you on a path that's not following Jesus. You put a Jesus tag on it. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're really following him. Right. You know what I mean? Encountering church, all that changes is your routine and your worldview and your doctrine. Mm-hmm. Encountering Jesus changes you. Changes you. Right. There is a difference. And I think it's important to highlight that difference just as a caution. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think the reason people get treated the way I've been treated by church is they've had an encounter with church. So church has become their Messiah. Mm-hmm. And they'll die on that hill defending the church no matter what, even if they're defending the church from things that aren't good. 
Right. You know what I mean? And you become yeah. the enemy for speaking the truth if the church has founded itself upon a lie. Right. That's not good. And that's when somebody has to be an Ezekiel mm -hmm. stand up and say, this ain't right. Even if everybody hates me for saying this, like they hated Ezekiel, this isn't right. Right. This isn't his desire for you. And I don't want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. I don't have delusions of grandeur that I am that guy, but I'm willing. Right. Because I care about you too much to not say anything. Mm. Right. Right. Did you have something to add before I? No, no, I'm just, I'm going to try and, uh, I don't know. I'm going to flip this a little bit. So, you know, on the other side of that, you know, because that's kind of one of the reasons that I stopped going to church was we had, there was a falling out of the church, hurt feelings, you know, kind of the, the congregation was split between two sides. Both of the sides pointing at each other going, you're wrong, I'm right. We walked away from each other years and years and years later. You know, I, I heard somebody say, well, you know, if you, if you, if you lost your faith in God because of a person, then your faith wasn't really in God. It was in that person. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I get that. I get that. That's a good mentality, but there's people that walk away from church over hurt feelings and you can't just poof away those hurt feelings. Right. Right. Like your own, I understand that mentality that if you lost your faith in God because a person hurt you, then your faith wasn't in God. It was in that person. I get that mentality, but also too, you can't on the other side of that, you can't just push away somebody's emotions. And I think that's kind of where I mean, I think maybe you're kind of almost in that category where it's where you're not going to walk away from church and God, don't get me wrong, but there's people that if they were to come to their church and say, Hey, I, I didn't, this happened or, you know, I, my feelings were hurt or I feel rejected or whatever, you know, more likely than not, the response to that is going to be, well, you stiffen up that lip because mm -hmm. this is, you know what I mean? Like, I feel too often than not, that's that's what happens. Yeah, the ones that have been hurt by the church are targeted, and they're the ones that, that are told, you need to get over it, but they never focus on the ones that hurt them. Right. Because it's usually leadership that hurts them. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's always the, 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 the onus is always on the person hurt right. to get over the hurt. Exactly. And so I'm going to use, I'm going to use a, a personal experience. It's, it doesn't have to do with, with church, but it, it kind of sums up the mentality. Um, years and years and years ago, I had a falling out with a friend. The reasons aren't really important, but was what was important was there was hurt feelings on both sides. Mm -hmm. Unintentionally hurt feelings, right? Which very well could be the case here. There might've been, miscommunication, but there's unintended, there's hurt feelings. Right. I recognized on my end that I hurt those feelings. And I said, I didn't mean to hurt those feelings. I'm very, very sorry. I'll try not to do what I did again. Let's move on from this. Right. My issue was the other party and our disagreement refuse to take responsibility for my hurt feelings mm -hmm. in the sense that 
All it would have taken was, I didn't realize what I did hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, let's talk about it. Right. But it was excuse after excuse of why that person acted the way they did. I'm not interested in why you acted the way that you did. That's not the issue. The issue is my is the hurt feelings. Yeah, I just want to right? address that and let's, move forward. Uh, let's address the issue, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I don't think that that's, I feel like too many of the churches, that's their mentality towards people with hurt feelings is not, not like you said, get over your feelings, not, well, let's try to understand those feelings because maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe we came off differently or maybe, you know, it needs to be unpacked a little bit. Right. Right. And I don't think, or in the situations that I've seen, church leadership is not going to say we were in the wrong. I've never seen that happen. Because then that would admit, then that would be admitting that they have misled the congregation. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that, you know, preachers haven't got up and said, look, I was wrong. Right. I'm just saying I haven't seen it personally. Right. I haven't seen it. And so, and that's what I'm kind of relating is, you know, so, and you know, the last, the last thing the person said to me was, well, you just, from now on, you just keep my name out of your mouth. And I'm like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but obviously we're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked to that person since. Because it wasn't the sense of what you did and you had justification. The problem was my feelings were hurt. Right. And you didn't care. Right. You yeah. didn't stop to, you didn't stop to consider like, well, I and, and that's all. And, and I, I said that too, to that person, I was like, I didn't realize what I did hurt you this much. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And there was no reciprocation there. Right. Yeah. So, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it makes it, reconciliation impossible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. It's funny you bring up that specific story because, you know, I believe, you know, this whole circumstance for me, there, there's always a lesson at the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've noticed that recently that he'll, he'll press me through something like this, but then at the, at the tail end of it, there's a nice little bow on it. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? This is what I want you to get out of this. So, so Sarah, if you're listening, I hope you don't mind me using this story as an example, but I, I think it's important because this was my takeaway from the whole thing. And I hope those of you listening, I hope, hope you get a, a good takeaway out of this too, this, this feeling of rejection. So, at time of recording, this was last week, but we're two weeks behind, so it'll be it'll it it will have been a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, by the time this goes out. Just for context, for for those listening in real time, but I had posted on Facebook, and it was the all, all it was just a question. It was actually to sort of set a foundation for a question I want to ask. Actually, in probably next week's episode, mm-hmm. and that question was, "Whose mark are you wearing?" Right. That was all it was. And we'll dig into more what I mean about that next week because I think it's it's a very powerful question when you really unpack it. But I'm going to blame autocorrect, as I always do, because I think it's always autocorrect's fault, and I refuse to take responsibility for it. But it had autocorrected from whose, W-H-O-S-E, to whose as in who is, who, whose, whose as in possessive, like W-H-O apostrophe right. S, which completely changes the meaning of the question and makes it kind of nonsensical. I didn't catch it, right? right? Sarah, who is the grammar guru, right, and I appreciate her greatly for that, sent me a message in Messenger to correct it because she she knew you know this this might confuse some people. Oh, okay, I, yeah. So all I it can was, I see where this is going. Yeah. 
so all it was was an asterisk and whose spelled correctly. Well, I had recently deleted Messenger off my phone because I got bombarded with, with friend requests. Um, that's a story for another time. Maybe I already told the story. I don't know. I lose track. Anyway, my Messenger was getting blown up. I get dozens of messages per day. Most right. of them asking no, we, for yeah, money. We told that story. Where, yeah, we did. Okay. Like we, got, we both got hit on social media right. with friend requests. Okay. So that led to just, a, it, it just blows my Messenger up now. And of course, Facebook doesn't allow you to pick and choose who you, who you prioritize in Messenger. So mm-hmm. these, are the, these are the only ones that will give a notification, which, side note, blows me away. They want to be on the forefront of the digital, of the digital realm. They don't have basic features like that. I miss MySpace. Facebook sucks. Sorry. Right. <laughs> it's just how I feel. So I had to delete Messenger because it was just blowing my phone up every night. People trying to, mm-hmm. to video call me and send in messages and couldn't do it. So I got rid of it. So reason I bring that up is I only see messages from Messenger now when I get on my computer. Mm-hmm. I don't have a computer sitting on a computer desk. I have a laptop buried away in a bag somewhere. So right. you're lucky if I get that out once a day. And from now on, after 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 this, I probably will make an effort to be more intentional about checking through messages mm-hmm. daily. So it had been a couple days since I saw the message. And when I checked it, I couldn't remember. I forgot that post. So I knew it was a grammatical correction, but I'm like, I know this is important. She wouldn't have sent it if it wasn't important, but I right. don't know what it applies to. So I just sent a question mark back and that was it. But I was kind of busy if I remember right. And I turned my computer off and kind of forgot about it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't look through my posts or comments to see what, uh-huh. what it was in reference to. So fast forward a couple of days later when I finally check again and she had messaged back explaining that, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be insulting or anything like that. I just wanted, cause you know, this, this is why it, it changes the meaning of it. And I didn't want anybody to, to misconstrue what you were saying. And I didn't respond back because I hadn't checked it. And mm-hmm. I think she got afraid that she had really ticked me off. Right. Like, I think she thought I was mad. The reason I wasn't responding back was because I was mad and I was breaking fellowship. Because right. this is a problem among believers where you get ticked off about one thing and you just break fellowship. And I'll be transparent in the past. I've been guilty of it. And I think this is why this lesson's here. And she uh, she actually had sent a, a video message, or not a, an audio, sorry, an audio message. Because text gets misconstrued. We tend to misapply tone to text. And she wanted to make sure that, you know, she was conveying herself the right mm-hmm. way. She's like, I'm really sorry if I if I upset you. That wasn't my intent. Right. She was real worried about it. And I listened to this message, and I'll be honest, I, I my irresponsibility in checking messages, right, had led her to feel rejected, mm-hmm. just like I had felt rejected. Right. Totally unintentional, but nonetheless, my inaction in responding led to a feeling of rejection. Right. And I got emotional about it, man. I almost broke down a little bit because I made her feel the way I felt. Right. And I, I feel like the lesson for me, at least, and I think maybe the lesson for some of you listening is we have to be very intentional in the way we handle our interactions mm-hmm. and in lack of interaction and cognizant of how that makes the other person feel. Exactly. I Maybe it's good that I felt rejected because now I know why moving forward, I cannot, if I want to properly reflect my Messiah, I cannot make mm-hmm. other people feel that way. Right. I can't. I have to take myself and my ego out of the equation, and I have to do, do more for others than I do for myself. I have to be more mindful of others than I am of myself. Right. 
right? I think that's very important in our walk with him. Right. Go ahead. Well, and that's, and you know, you know, I mean, that's, that's dead on, but you know, my, what I'm adding to that, you know, you came at that with the right heart with the immediately your, your action elicited an unintended consequence. Exactly. So you were quick to, to rectify it instead of, instead of being quick to say, well, this is why this happened this way. And then go, and then just leaving it at that. Mm -hmm. Like you elicited guilt for that happening because it was an unintended consequence. Right. If you had come at that with, well, you know, you didn't get my messages because I did this and then left it at that. Odds are Sarah probably wouldn't have come back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, well, I understand that that's the way that it is, but I just told you, like, I was sorry that I had, I was afraid that I had offended you. Mm -hmm. But then you're, you're like, basically like your response to something can elicit a negative or positive response based upon the heart condition you use to respond to that. Exactly. Had you been, had you been standoffish towards that, it would have elicited a, a standoffish response, but your whether it was intentional or unintentional, your, your, I, I don't know what the word for it, what, what would be standoffish? What's the opposite of that? Your open heartedness about it mm -hmm. elicited an open hearted response back. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, if I had been, if I had like been you, like you, you get what you put out there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And if I had been dismissive about how it made her feel, yep. it wouldn't have corrected anything. And that's why I kind of connected it w with what you talked about. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Your feelings were hurt. Right. And the other person didn't even care. Right. They were I, more interested in justifying why they did they, what they yes. did than validating my feelings. Right. I did care. Like I say, yeah. I was I was emotional that it had hurt her. Yeah. I, I really was. And never even met her face to face. You know what I mean? It just right. it bothered me. It really did. And I think I think God softened me up through that experience through the week to be more bothered by it than maybe I would have otherwise to drive home the lesson mm -hmm. that you have got to be cognizant of the way you approach people. Right. You've got to be. Uh, I'm not going to change my message because the message has been pressed upon me from the spirit. Mm -hmm. I know that. Right. I'm not going to people please. Right. I'm not going to say what makes you feel good in your sin, but I've got to be cognizant of the messaging, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And the approach. Yep. Because it matters, and sometimes I stumble on that. I know I do. Right. Right. Sometimes people apply tone to me that isn't fair, especially when I when I share a message in text. Right. But sometimes I I write very bluntly and mm -hmm. matter of factly, which it 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 elicits. It elicits that misapplication of tone. Right. Then he's just a jerk. He looks yeah. down, he's being condescending. No, I'm just just telling you the blunt truth. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not intended to be condescending, but I know it can come across that way, and I have to be more more cognizant of how it may come across. Right. Even if I don't intend it to come across that way. I didn't mm -hmm. intend to make her feel rejected, but I did. Right. Right. By not being more intentional about, in this case, checking messages. Mm-hmm. So... I, there's a quote. I want to read this before we move on to our next to our next talking point here, and I think it it really highlights what I mean by how we need to reflect Him. 
in absolutely everything that we do. And it says this, it's from J.O. Frazier. He was a missionary, I think, to China, but I'm not 100% on that. But he said, quote, In the biography of our Lord, nothing is more noticeable than the quiet, even poise of his life. Never flustered whatever happened, never taken off his guard, however assailed by men or demons in the midst of fickle people, hostile rulers, faithless disciples. He was always calm, always collected. Christ the hard worker indeed, but doing no more and no less than God had appointed him, and with no restlessness, no hurry, no worry, was ever such a peaceful life lived under conditions so perturbing. Love that quote. That's a good quote. I think that's that's the benchmark for how we approach people in every circumstance, whether it's a friend, whether it's somebody who hates us for what we're saying. We can't respond with emotion. We can't react. Right. We need to be responsive, not reactive. There is a difference. Easier said than done in my situation. No, it's easier said than done in everybody's I, situation. So before we move on, I'll share a little, a little, like a little light, lighthearted section. Mm-hmm. So again, I struggle with, I don't want to call it road rage. I call it road policing. That's but, a nice diplomatic way of putting that. But, um, <laughs> And also, uh, you, you know this a little bit of a, of a potty mouth. I, mm-hmm. I have I have one, and uh, sometimes I, I, I it gets the better of me. It's something I I deal with my my struggle, I guess. So we're I was on my way home with Abigail. It's just me and her in the car. And I'm just cruising along, um, leaving. I know this probably makes no sense to anybody, but coming out of Hannibal, coming up the hill. Mm-hmm. By Pillsbury, you know, coming towards the New London on 61 on the highway. It's a two-lane highway. And uh, I'm, you know, cruising along. And this woman cuts me off. And I say, son of a bleep. <laughs> I mean, I said it. <laughs> so Abigail's in the backseat on her tablet, just, you know, tooling on her tablet. And uh, she... I was like, I looked in the rearview mirror to see if she had heard, because I'm like, obviously she heard me, but did she hear me? Right. You know? So I looked back there and she's still tooling on her tablet and not even, <laughs> didn't even look up, goes, Daddy, who's Mitch? And I was like, the person driving that truck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad she heard it ever so slightly wrong. Ever so slightly wrong, yes. But it just kind of called, and again, <laughs> it's it's a, it's a, little anecdote but it's the you know the you know with that like you were talking about with poise right i i should have just went oh that was close i mean because she did cut me off Mm -hmm. like like to the point i had to put my brakes on so she didn't hit the front of my truck you know i'm very protective of my new truck yeah So, (laughs) so i mean yeah so i was for perturbed but you know i'm like you never know where that person had just come from or and again looking back on it it's a lot easier said than done Mm -hmm. but the what the poise of (sighs) that was frustrating but i'm not gonna let it get you know what i mean like kind of i don't know i don't know why i'm trying to connect it they're really not connected but no it's connected i think you know handling every situation striving to reach the place where we can handle every situation, no matter what comes 
our way externally, always having the poise that Jesus would have. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I think there's a good takeaway there. Right on. Because yeah. we're always going to stumble. Exactly. And he's usually going to use it as a way to teach us, how should you have handled that? Yeah, how should I have handled that? <laughs> not the way that I did. So I, I asked this question not for a, a direct response, really, because it's kind of a weird question to ask. But I think it's sort of the driving, I guess, the foundational question for the rest of our episode. And that is, whose will are you feeding? And I don't want you to answer that because, you know, the answer is obvious. We want to feed God's will, right. not the enemies. But we don't always do that, as we kind of have, have alluded to with what we've already talked about in the episode. Sometimes we tend to feed the enemy's will right. when we shouldn't. But it's a defining question, right? And right. I, I think it's one that we should all be asking ourselves, probably daily. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why do you think it's such an important question to ask? Well, I mean, because it, it kind of, kind of, I mean, it defines the direction your life is going. Is the, is the end result, you know, is it is is the end result of your life overall God's will or your will? Right. Are you are you glorifying Him in what you do? Or are you putting His name asunder with right. what you do? Are you misrepresenting him. Right. Right. So I guess like the real question is, what's the difference? What is, what is God's will compared to the enemy's will? I think it's a tougher question to hammer down, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, I think the obvious answer for God's will is, you know, we have, we have that outlined for us in, in his word, right? Sort Mm -hmm. of what I, what I alluded to about the difference between encountering church and encountering Jesus, right? Letting him transform you Mm -hmm. and lead you into walking in his ways. Right. As opposed to making excuses for flaunting his ways. Because mm-hmm. I think too often when we, the reason I think that's an important distinction, not to not to harp on that too much, is I think we tend to, when we have an encounter with church, we just, we just disobey different commandments now. Right? We, we come into church maybe struggling with alcoholism or anger problems like I have, you know, other issues that I've had in the past. And we shift away from those, but then we just adopt doctrines that lead us into disobeying different commandments. Mm-hmm. But a transformational encounter with Jesus will lead you on a path toward applying all of them. Right. There is a there's a subtle difference, but there is a difference. I will say I I feel like what the enemy's will is a lot easier to define than what than what God's will is. I agree in the sense that you know. I mean, first and foremost, he wants you to denounce God, right? Hundred percent. But we've but we've already had the discussion in in earlier episodes where you'll be hard pressed to find a believer that just outright denounces God. Mm-hmm. There's they're they're out there. I'm not saying they're not out there, but by and large, so the next best thing, or I guess the next step for him would be just to whatever he can do to drive a wedge in that relationship, he's going to do. Yeah. That's to put separation between you and God is, is, is the goal. Cause that separation is what, is what blocks our intimacy that, you know, we talked about last episode, whatever he can do, whatever wedge that is, if it's a job, if it's a friend, if it's, you know, 
money, whatever, whatever he can put in between you and that relationship, that's his end goal. Right. If and I then keep you there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He wants you in that rut to stay. You know, I think, I think you're right. His, his will is a lot easier to define. And I think it goes back to the Genesis account. I, mm-hmm. I think when you look at his interaction with Eve, I think the enemy's will can be defined by that one loaded question he asked. Did God really say that? Mm-hmm. Did he really say? And the the intention behind the question is really clear. He wants you to view God's commandments with skepticism. That's the objective. Right. He wants you to look at God's his way, his will, his commandments, his ordinances, his expectations of you and view it with skepticism. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I see evidence of that question being asked inside the churches. When we when we take commandments that we don't like and we say, did he really say that to me? I'm a Gentile Christian. Did he really say that to me? Right. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he said it to everybody. Solomon makes it clear. The duty of all mankind is to obey the commandments and follow after him. Right. That's what he said. That's the that's the duty of all men. Not just the Jew. Right? But we mm-hmm. we allow the enemy to slither in like the serpent he is and deceive us into asking that question any time a commandment convicts us personally. Did he really say that though? Yep. That's his will. And mm-hmm. you can apply that will to anything. Any aspect of God's will, the enemy will take that question and overlay it on top of it so that you view God's will through the lens of that question. That's what he wants. He wants you to view God's will for you through the lens of the question, did he really say that? Right. Instead of viewing it through the lens of Jesus, right? right. We should have God at the center. Mm-hmm. He should be our lens through which we view everything. Right. But we let we let our lens become that question, that, that mm-hmm. very, very nefarious question. The Cherokee have a parable. And I know I've shared this before, but I love it. And I'm going to share it again. I think it was actually in an episode that's no longer available anyway. So I'm going to share this. And it's it's called The Two Wolves. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And I, I love this because I think it's very it's very applicable, for one, to what we're talking about right now, what we're talking about today, but just for us in general. And it says, a grandfather told his grandson that there's a battle between two wolves going on inside all of us. He says, my son, the battle is between two wolves that live inside each and every one of us. One is evil. It is anger, envy jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, and guilt. Resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson pondered this for a moment, and then he asked, which wolf wins? And the grandfather responded, the one you feed. It's the one you feed. There's so much truth in that. We choose what we feed in our life. Right. Whether we're feeding God's will or the enemy's will. God allows us that choice. He doesn't have to. He allows us to have that choice. Mm-hmm. We have to make the choice wisely. 
and not be deceived by those leading us on a path that just isn't good. Right. No matter where you crack the Bible open randomly, you'll find that it's never presented as a good thing to disobey the Father. Mm-hmm. Never. Right. It's the enemy's will. Right. So you so when you say pursuing or feeding God's will versus the enemy's will, you you mean in the sense of like overall, right? Mm-hmm. Not just does does God want me to to go on this mission trip or does God want me to, you know, lead this Bible study or does God want me to take this job? It's you're talking about the overall God's will for your life. I think you can apply it either way. I have in mind what what he outlines in his word for all of us. Okay. The 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 difference between universal will and individual will. What you're describing is individual will. Right. Like yeah. if he leads you to to go on a mission trip, but he doesn't lead me to do that, that's your that, that that's his his individual will for you, but not for me. Right. Right. But when he says do this or don't do this in his commandments, that's the universal will that applies to both of us. Right. With without separation. Do you see right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So like in that scenario, me going on a mission trip is is my will, but the in but not yours. But his overall will for us is to share the word. So, Correct. So my, the great commission would apply to us both. Right. Yeah. The yeah. So in so in that case, my individual is to for me to fulfill the overall is going on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. Your individual might be volunteer at the soup kitchen and witness to people there. Exactly. So yeah, and being so, responsive to the spirits leading of you in that right. way. Okay. Right. That's actually a perfect segue to what I want to talk wanted to talk about next. And that's there was a quote at that conference. It was Tim Tebow that said it. And he said, I'm I'm just gonna paraphrase him, but he said that there's a difference between those who go and those who are called. And he said the difference is if you just go without being called, the first time you get punched in the face and get a bloody nose, you're gonna retreat. Mm-hmm. But if you were called by the Most High to go, it doesn't matter how many times you get punched in the face. You're going to stand. You're going right. to stand fast. You're going to remain because you have a calling from the Most High. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between what you're talking about and, and and maybe what I was talking about, right, is is knowing your call, right, knowing the call upon your life. Okay. And what his call for you is. And being a Gideon and asking for a fleece. You know what I mean? Right. If he's calling you to do something, he'll prove himself to you. Mm-hmm. He has no problem doing that. He makes that really clear. Right. Right. But we need to be responsive. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to obey it. Right. So that leads me to, to my next question. Before we move on, um, I think also too, it's, it's important to, and, and that's kind of where, you know, we, the social media aspect comes into it, but I feel like people, and, and Christians, but maybe even like a newer Christian is trying to find that, like, like they don't feel adequate. I, I don't know how to word this other than they don't feel adequate in their faith unless they have some big thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm, I don't have a, you know, multi million dollar Christian album out there i don't have a number one christian bestseller book 
So what's the point of me witnessing? What's the point of me living this way? Or what's the point of me following the word? Because I don't have that big, that big, huge calling, but it's like, you know, every, every machine has big and small parts. Right. And they're just as equally important as making that machine work. Right. Right. Sometimes without some of them small parts, the big parts can't do their job. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like sometimes Christians get, I don't know if it's an inferiority complex about themselves or even newer Christians that might not know how to, to walk that life out. Like they, it's like they almost kind of get shut down even before they start out. Right. Right. So I, I guess my point is, is if you get punched in the face in retreat, learn from it and, and, and put a fleece out there. Okay. Well, that wasn't for me, obviously let's go find something else. Don't, right. don't get defeated and then just have that feeling of, well, I'm never going to be able to do anything for God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I guess that's kind of the point is we get to the point where if you know, you get so many hits, you're like, I'm just not going to be able to do anything. Why bother? Right. You know? And I think it's important too, to, to, to be very resistant to defining success the way the world would define it. Yeah. I, I think we see that a lot in the churches too, that if you have a lot of people show up and they're, the spirit must be moving, it's gotta be the spirit. Right. Paul warns us in the second letter to Timothy that as time progressed and, and decades unfolded and, and we came to the latter times and look, we're 2000 years removed. We're in the later times or latter times that he was talking about mm-hmm. that people would surround themselves with teachers that would itch their ears. They would just teach him what they wanted to hear. He's talking about believers here. Right. He's saying that the crowds would seek out false teachers to tell them their sin was okay. Right. So he paints a picture for us that in the future, within the context of the Christian church, where the crowds are, they're, they're, they're commissioning teachers that are just going to affirm their sin. Mm-hmm. He doesn't paint a picture for us that in the time we're living in, that the vast majority of believers would seek out truth. He paints a picture for us that the crowds are going to seek out affirmation of sin. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I guess the caution there is if that's where we're at and the majority don't want to hear truth and he commissions you or calls you to speak truth, probably shouldn't expect a lot of success by worldly standard. Right. Should probably, probably be more expectant that you're going to be like Ezekiel. Because that's what he warned Ezekiel about in chapter two of his prophecy that, look, I'm paraphrasing God here. I'm calling you, Ezekiel. I'm going to have you speak my word to them, but they're rebellious. They've been rebelling against me for generations. They won't listen to me, and they're not going to listen to you. But my justice demands that you speak this truth anyway. Mm-hmm. He told Ezekiel that he was going to speak the word of God, and he was going to be rejected by the people for it. Right. His call was to speak knowing he wouldn't be, quote, air quotes, successful. Right. So we need to be cautious about defining success that way. Right. Or, I mean, maybe not even so much as rejected, but it just falls on deaf ears. Yeah. Like you're preaching to a valley of bones. <laughs> yeah. Perfect connection. And what's interesting is it was the dry bones that hurt Ezekiel, not the people. Right. There was, you know, that's, you know, that's a, that's a topic for another day. I love that reference, the dry bones reference, because it does, it does point us to a time when people will, have life breathed back into them, like this mass, massive revival. Mm-hmm. But that's it's probably going to take the tribulation to get us there. 
if I'm correct in how I how I view Ezekiel, that much of Ezekiel is is a dual prophecy. It applied to the people of his day, but it also applied to the future, mm-hmm. to the to the end of days. Right. right? And you see this, I'm not going to get into it right now. We might start digging into that next week, but you see this a couple times where he says something that's sort of applicable to the people, but there's aspects of it that could only apply to the future. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's there's clear markers there that it's a future context. And I believe that Dry Bones references a future context of this great revival in the future, but it's going to take a massive shaking to wake people up. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be because some charismatic preacher manipulates some emotions. It's going to be because God steps on the scene and shakes everybody, including those charismatic preachers, to, to repent. That's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. And I think that was God's way of showing Ezekiel that, you know, I choose to use you as a vessel. But was Ezekiel the one that breathed the life in the bones? Oh. No, God did that. God does the work. We need to be mindful of that. So we need to just take our ego out of it. You know, just like this podcast, I don't, you know, my flesh wants it to be successful. Yeah. Right? It's natural. Mm-hmm. My flesh wants it to be. But if I knew that only one person was getting anything out of it, I'd still do this every single week. Right. Because I'm not... At the end of the day, I'm not doing it for me, right? Yeah. I would like to see success, but I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing mm-hmm. it for him. And if this is being used to reach even just one person, it's worth it to me. We have to get ourselves to that place right? where we're willing to reach who he wants us to reach, even right. if it's just one person. And that, and that's, and that's, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying too, is, you know, and not viewing that one person as a punch in the face. <laughs> yeah. That one person is... You know, your flesh could be very, you know, susceptible to thinking, well, it's a failed podcast because only one person is listening. I love that you mentioned that. Viewing, Mm -hmm. like, that's such a danger. And I'll be honest, I've been a little bit guilty of that. Right. That you you view the, well, I'm only reaching one person. I'm only reaching one person. And you you say that out loud like it's a bad thing. You are reaching one person. Yeah. Would you rather reach one person genuinely or would you rather have a, a, a crowd of a thousand people encouraging you to speak a message that isn't really true? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. But it makes them happy. Right. Which would you prefer? I'd prefer to reach the one person mm-hmm. with the whole truth than a thousand people with that, a half right. truth, which is really just no better than a whole lie. Yep. So this is, this first half has gone on a little longer than I anticipated. Okay. So I think we're going to go ahead and take our break and then we'll, we'll hit this next question. I think it, it'll, it'll, flow better this way right kind of reorganize in my mind how i planned on this going and we'll see how how it plays out but uh like i said we're going to take a short break but while we do that we're going to play this week's featured song and it is one more time by steven salfelder be sure and join us on the other side for the bottom half of the episode enjoy Yet we still have the key 
Oh, you send your spirit one more time. One more time. Come to give you honor. One more time. Come to give you praise. One more time. Come to lift our hands to you. One more time. One more time. One more time.
One more time We come to lift our hands to you One more time One more time Come to give you honor One more time Come to give you praise One more time Come to lift our hands to you One more time One more time One more time We have come together In unity and love And we are back again. That was One More Time by Stephen Southfelder. So with that what I, what I was getting ready to say, the top half, there was a quote. Did I did I say the quote? There's a difference between going and being called. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I got to that. So what I was going to connect that to is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And it says that we walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean to you? I've given you about three weeks to ponder that question, I think. Yeah, now my answer seems really small considering the amount of time that I've had to walk or to to think about it. Um, so the the verse that that comes from, you know, walk by walk by faith, not by sight, which oddly enough, I have a, a kind of a funny story about that. I, I don't want to share it because it, it, uh, the person will know who I'm talking about. Oh, I don't okay. want to call anybody out. Yeah. But I just, I think that, that that's way overused and way <clears throat> misused, misused in the, in the walk by faith. in that one is walk in, in by faith that everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Not by that, not that you can see everything will be okay. And I'm like, eh, that's not really the context to me that that should be in. Right. So what I came up with is it's, it's kind of, I know it's from a movie, but believing isn't seeing, seeing is believing or no, it's the other way around. Seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. Mm -hmm. So while we haven't ever seen heaven or home away from home, our faith tells us that it's there. And there's a certain way beyond, beyond to me, beyond being saved. There's a certain way that you have to live to, to reach that end goal. So our faith that our home awaits us is what makes us walk in a way that we know that that's there. Right. So I guess, I guess better. I better read my notes because I wrote it down in my notes a lot better than I just said it. So we live in such a way that we know that there's a home awaiting us. While we cannot see our heavenly home, we know that it's there. So we must walk out our life in a manner that will allow us access to that home. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. 
That's what I got out of it. Sorry. That's... No, don't be sorry. That's good. <laughs> I wanted your takeaway. So I want to add a couple insights and see if this, see if you have any, any takeaways from it. Mm-hmm. See if it, if it colors your view at all. So in, in that reference in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, sight there is the Greek word eidos. And it, it literally means to see an appearance, fashion, or form of something. Right? And, and often with these, these ancient words, it's good to have cross-references to kind of get an idea of what's really, what's implied. Mm-hmm. In John chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says, You have neither heard the Father's voice at any time nor seen his form. Form there is eidos. It's interesting. Not mm-hmm. seen. The word seen is an eidos. Form is. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, sight is eidos. But in John 5, 37, it's form. Does that color your view at all on what that possibly means? To walk by faith and not by sight? It adds an interesting dynamic, doesn't it? It does. Also, I wish I was smart enough to come up with an answer on the spot, but... Let me add a little bit more. So in verse, in the very next verse, in verse 38, he, he adds, You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. So they haven't seen his form and they don't believe. Right. Do you know the Emmaus Road story? No. So in Luke 24, this is after the resurrection. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to, it's like I say, it's in the 24th chapter of Luke. But a couple of Jesus' followers, they're walking along the road and they're trying to make sense of everything that happened. And they don't quite believe it. Okay. Right. They're hearing the stories. They're hearing the stories. Mm-hmm. They're the accounts mm-hmm. and everything. They've not seen it, so it's kind of like, yeah, that sounds kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. Kind of out there. Right. Miraculous. Right. Yes. In did verse... He, did he... I'm sorry. Did he really conquer death? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a good connection. They were viewing it through the lens of, did he really do the things mm-hmm. that he said he was going to do? This really shouldn't have taken him by surprise. Right. Right. But it did. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not disparaging them. It would have been hard to accept, right? But they didn't accept it. So they're walking to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them, right, as a stranger walking along the road with him, but we're told that he conceals his identity from them. So he changes how he appears to them, so they don't, they don't actually know it's Jesus. They just think it's a stranger. Mm-hmm. And he questions them. And... I'm gonna stop you just for a second. I think, I think people get like they glaze over the fact, like he is in such control of everything that he can literally change his form. Mm-hmm. Like we doubt his power, but and it is he. And I mean, these are cosmic powers we're talking about. Like he can literally change his form and we're just well you know did he could he really you know heal somebody you know what i mean yeah like he's in such he has command such power that he can change his physical form but yet we question if did he heal these people or did he really even teach people Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah sorry no i'm glad you said that and you know an important word you use there is form remember that's idos can mean the form of something Mm mm-hmm 
right? He concealed his form to them. Right. He didn't let them see it. He's walking on the road with them and they're discussing these things. And he, he pretends like he's ignorant. Like, yeah. you know, what's the, what's, what's, what's this talk about this Jesus guy you're, yeah. you, you're mentioning, you know, like, you don't know. Like, how do you not know? So they're, they're like stunned that he doesn't know like the Jesus story. But then in verse 25, he retorts to them because they don't believe that he resurrected. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Because everything that Jesus did was was foretold by the prophets ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Everything. Again, this should not have taken them off guard, but it did. It's, it's natural. So again, we have him concealing his form and then chastising them for not believing. I believe we can connect these two things. He's chastising them for they want to believe by what they see, by seeing the form of it. He wants them to believe on faith. Right. Because they just believe that his word is true. But it's very touching how he responds to them. Even after saying that, he's obviously a little frustrated with them, right? Mm-hmm. But he remember, he took the time to appear to them, just two guys. To, to go back to what, we're talk, what we were talking about earlier with the crowds and stuff, he didn't just appear to a crowd of 5,000 people to make sure it was maximum success, right? Mm-hmm. He took the time to appear to two of his followers alone. Right. That's powerful in and of itself. But after he sort of chastises them for not believing, which... I can imagine their response like this. We don't even know this guy. Right. You know what I mean? But then he starts from the beginning. After chastising them for not believing the prophets that they already knew, he goes back to the beginning and reteaches them from the very foundation from Moses. He takes the time that entire afternoon to reteach them everything the prophet spoke about him. Right. Is that awesome? Yeah. That that's his response to us, even in the midst of our unbelief, he takes the time to reteach us anyway. Mm-hmm. But here's where, to me, is the connection. So he reteaches them all this, and then they they believe, they accept it, right? They they believe that he's resurrected, but again, they don't know they're talking to him. They think they're talking to a stranger, so they accept what Jesus has done on faith because he taught them their word again or his word again, mm-hmm. right? And here's the interesting part. They invite him to eat with them, right? And in verses 30 through 31, it says this. He took bread, and it's interesting that it's built around bread. We're going to have a whole episode on the bread and water. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, actually, especially with your your addition on the clay thing. Just so awesome. I can't get my mind off of that. Right. The, the, the addition of that element of the broken pot, adding the living, living water to, to, to make a new pot. Sorry. I know I'm... Chasing a rabbit here. That is so right. cool. But it says he took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. End quote. So it wasn't until they believed on faith and then took the bread from his hand, that's when they were allowed to see his form. Mm. Does that color your view on the difference between walking by faith and not by sight, at least from God's perspective, what he's looking for from us. Yeah. I mean, that kind of colors the the image of, you know, un, until you live by the faith, you're never, you're never going to see him. Right. He wants us to believe his word first, I believe. I believe that's what he's telling us there. My takeaway and I agree with you. I think it's it's misused. I've I've heard 
I, my personal experience is I've heard that verse used in such a way that it implies that he just wants blind belief, even if it's in regard to things that don't make sense. Like he doesn't prove himself, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like he just expects belief and he never proves himself. That's, it's really not biblical. He does prove himself. Right. Right. Um, that Emmaus road encounter, you know, it shows us that he proved himself through the prophets and what they spoke. He mm-hmm. spoke ahead of time so that it would, it, it, it would be clear that he foretold the future before it happened. Mm-hmm. That's an act of him proving himself. That's not blind faith. Right. Right. It's faith that doesn't require you to see some miraculous sign. There's a difference. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of, kind of what I was alluding to more eloquently put, like we don't, you shouldn't need a miraculous sign or a near death experience or that to have faith in him. Mm -hmm. Like it, it should, it should be there. And let's remember the Pharisees had all the signs. He performed miracles, Mm -hmm. lots of them, you know, over the top miracles. They still didn't believe. So obviously what we see doesn't really change what we choose to believe anyway. Right. If we're committed to a lie, we're going to make the lie a reality. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why he wants us to accept his word is true first. Right? Right. Then he begins to prove himself to you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see, and we'll kind of round to this, I didn't begin seeing evidence of how he plans all of our steps out in in a way that it could only be an act of the Most High, I didn't start seeing that before I accepted His Word as true. I started seeing that after. Right? Right. It was after that, it was after I made it clear in my heart that I believe everything you've said. Everything. That's when I started seeing these things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's the same for these guys on the Emmaus Road. They didn't see his form for who he truly was until after they accepted him. Right? Right. On faith. Walking by faith is not blindness. It's not a lack of sight. I think that's a mishandling of the of the of the the intent of the verse. It's not a lack of his signs or a lack of him speaking. It's a trust that no matter what you see or don't see, he's leading. I think that's what it's about. It's about trust. It's not an absence of sight. It's an intimacy with God that prevents your sight from disrupting your walk with him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think these guys at Emmaus, and I think we can learn from them, I think they allowed what they didn't see to disrupt their walk with him. Right. So they had to be retaught. He didn't abandon them. He didn't cast them off, but they had to be retaught. And they had to trust again. I think that's the key. It's trusting. It's trusting in him even in spite of what you see right. or what you don't see. I think it, yeah, I mean, in, in my mind, it's, they were, like you said, allowing what they hadn't seen to overshadow what they knew. Like they they knew he he had done all this stuff, but because they hadn't seen the most recent, they started doubting, right? Mm-hmm. So, but then... I feel like as he's reteaching them, they probably had moments like, right, I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about this. And like reignited that, you know, I just, I I didn't see the very last thing, 
but I forgot about all the other things, mm-hmm. right? So it's just kind of like like they were coming back alive with that. I agree. Yeah, it's adding the living water back to to pots that had become broken. Mm-hmm. They they had allowed what they what they didn't see to plant seeds of doubt, mm-hmm. right? And he came in and walked alongside them to to pluck up those weeds of doubt right. and replant his word. And it's cool because, you know, after he vanishes, you know, I can't remember the exact wording, but they're talking to each other and they're like, didn't you feel something? Yeah. Like I knew, I knew all along, right. you know, we, you know, it didn't look like Jesus, but there was something about him. That's basically what they say to one another is right. there was something about him. Yeah. I could just feel it. I think that's, that's a cool reference. Yeah. That's a cool aspect of that story yeah. too, that you can just feel it when it's him. Yeah. You just know. I, I kind of liken that to sitting here going, bruh, he got you. He didn't get me. But he got you. <laughs> yeah. I felt something. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> So there's another connection to this as a transition to really what I think you want to talk about is let's get back to that sanctification topic. Right. Uh-oh. I know you've been wanting to talk about that for a while in that story. So in 1 Thessalonians, first, it's chapter 5, verse 21 through 22 it tells us to examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Form there is idos again. It's idos. Mm-hmm. So based upon what we've already learned in the context of how idos is used, it's the visible form of something that you can see, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe what he's telling us there is to abstain from everything that even looks evil from an outside observer's perspective. I think that's what he's telling us there. Okay. Not just avoid evil for your own walk, but avoid anything that might appear evil to somebody else on the outside looking in. Because we're a living testimony, right? Once we accept right. him and we, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the Great Commission applies to all of us, right? And the Great Commission is to preach repentance and forgiveness to all nations. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, we can dig into what that, the implications of that also. Repentance and forgiveness to all nations, all people. It applies to all no distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's our mission, right? That's the right. mission that we're on. Part of that is walking out a living testimony, and part of having a living testimony is making sure that you're not exhibiting practices that don't look good, right? Mm-hmm. Don't even have a form of evil on you. And you know, Another way to, and to, to translate that would be abstain from every appearance of evil, anything that appears evil. How do you think this applies to our walk by faith and not by sight? Because I think there is a connection there. Right. I mean, you don't want to appear, you know, you don't want to appear the hypocrite, right? You don't want to tell, you know, you want to live that life that, that people will look at and go, well, you know, you say this, but this is what you do. Right. Right. I think our corrupted perception of things can pollute our walk with him. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you remember what holiness means to be set apart? Yeah. And sanctification is just the process of being made holy, holy. set right. apart. Kadosh versus Kadash. It's mm-hmm. sanctification is just being made holy. And to be set apart, it, it, it basically just means that you are doing things God's way. To go back to what we talked about at the top half of the episode, it's God's will versus the en- enemy's will. To be holy is to be fully committed to God's will, to his way, to his commandment, to his definition of right and wrong. To be polluted by the unholy or the appearance of evil is to surrender yourself in some category 
to the enemy's will. Mm-hmm. We've talked already on past episodes about that spiritually, right? How that spiritually applies. We we sort of linked it, if I remember right, to Zechariah chapter three with Joshua the priest in the the filthy robes, the mm-hmm. the accuser standing there and he's accusing Joshua of his sin. The accusations are probably true because we're told that the, the robes are filthy. That represents sin, and God rebukes the accuser and clothes Joshua the priest with clean robes, mm-hmm. which implies that God puts his righteousness upon him. There's another place where I think we have a really powerful uh, word picture, I guess, of what this looks like spiritually in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing out, but it's really powerful. And I think there's a cool takeaway there that we can kind of briefly identify, but Isaiah is brought into the presence of the Most High. He sees the form, the eidos of the Most High. Mm-hmm. He sees a picture of him, what he says, high and lifted up. Seems to be a, a, a prophetic foreshadowing of the manner of his death to rescue us. Mm-hmm. But he sees that. He sees his, his, his appearance, his form. And immediately Isaiah is undone. And his, his reaction to this is to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think... I think what we learn from that is that when we come into the presence of the Most High, the Holy God, it makes us see ourselves for who we really are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It highlights our sinfulness in his sight. Right. Because that's what it did for Isaiah. He's like, to say you're a man of unclean lips means I'm not worthy to even speak your words. Mm-hmm. I'm a sinner. That's what he's saying. I'm a sinner. And it being in the presence of complete and total sinlessness makes you so much more perceptive of your sinfulness. Right. And I think that's what it did for Isaiah. And it's really cool. God's response is to send an angel. And we, we have this, this, this is the word picture I'm talking about that takes a flaming coal from the most high and touches Isaiah's lips with it. After he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. So he imparts his righteousness to him. Mm -hmm. He purifies him of his sinfulness. And that's where sanctification has to start. It has to start with God. That's the difference between being a legalist and being lawful. Right. Right? The law isn't different. The commandments aren't different. It's understanding that God does the work in you and then leads you along. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Compared to somebody who's trying to obey the same commandments, but they, they think that they can do it through their own efforts. Like if I believe that I can make myself righteous by obeying a lot and I can earn my own salvation by obeying a lot, you may be seeking the same commandments, but you're not seeking the same God Mm -hmm. because you didn't give him the credit for doing it through you. Right. You gave yourself credit. You made yourself a God in your own eyes without even realizing it. I walked that road. Mm -hmm. Right. He does the work. He did the work for Joshua, the priest, and he does the work for Isaiah and he does the work for us too. But where does that lead? Right? Right. Does it begin and end with just that one moment of being made pure and you just go on like nothing happened, doing things the same way you always did? Because too often, the reason I say this too often is I think that's the way it's preached almost, is Jesus saves you. Jesus removes your sin, but then you just sort of stay in the same sin. Right. And you just hang your hat on that cell. I'm using my hands a lot. It's ridiculous on a podcast. On a podcast. You hang your your hat on that redemption moment, but it doesn't lead to anything. Right. 
but we're told that it should lead to an, an active walk of sanctification, which means that if you're made righteous by God, he imparts his righteousness on you. We're told by Ezekiel, I believe it's in chapter, oh, I'm not going to guess. It might be in chapter 22. It says that he, he puts his spirit in us and causes us to walk in his ways. Right. Okay. So it starts with God empowering us, but it ends with him leading us in his commandments. That's what we're told. Mm-hmm. That's what we're told in the new covenant, that famous reference in Jeremiah 31. I believe it's verse 33. I know it's chapter 31, though, where he defines the new covenant. And he says that I'll put my, the, the time is coming when I'll put my spirit in them and I'll write my law upon their hearts and cause them to walk in all my ways. Right? Right. What changed there? Did the law change? No. It was, your walk did. Your walk did. And where the commandments are written changed. We'll get into that in the, in the next couple of weeks. At Sinai, the commandments were written on stone from heaven. When they broke the covenant with the golden calf, those stone tablets were broken, and then Moses was told to cut new stone tablets from earth. So instead of having tablets from heaven, we now had tablets from earth, and the same commandments were written on them. The commandments didn't change. Right. The tablets did. What changes in the new covenant is the tablet. It's no longer written on a stone tablet from heaven. It's no longer written on a stone tablet from earth. It's written directly on the tablet of our heart. That's what's changed, right. not the commandments. At no point did the commandments ever change. Throughout that entire process, it's the tablet upon which they were written. His goal was to get to our heart. Mm-hmm. That was the objective. He's always been trying to get to our heart. Right. That's the goal. But again, it has to lead somewhere, and we're told that it leads to us walking with him. Mm-hmm. That's what sanctification looks like. So I guess and that pra- that I was gonna say that practice that the the heart sh- that heart condition comes only after that him truly remaking you. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like like some like that's I I take issue with you know the adage of once saved always saved. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that's enough. Like if, cause if that was the, if that was the case, then if somebody was saved, then they would walk out that life. Like it's very easy to profess your love for Jesus, ask him into your heart and then go right back to the way you were living. Right. And that's not indicative of the change of the heart that you had. Right if you had that true transformation, your walk would then lead you to wanting that relationship with him. Right. You would seek out his law. You would seek out his word. You would seek out his will after that Mm -hmm. because essentially your heart no longer belongs to the enemy. It belongs to God. Exactly. It, it should. and, And I get everybody's at a different place in the path. Right. Right. And, the sanctification process is going to be different from every every different for everyone. But every day you should you should wake up wanting to seek his will a little bit more and your will a little bit less. Mm-hmm. If you're engaged in the sanctification process every day, there should be a little bit less of you and a little bit more of him. Right. In your walk and in your outward appearance, the way the way you behave mm-hmm. and the way you obey him. 
Right. It should be a little less of you and a little more of him every single day. And if it's not, then you've become stagnant in the process. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you've fallen away, but I am saying that you're, you're, you're positioning yourself for discipline. Right. For disciplinary action. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and don't get me wrong. It's, it's, I'm not saying that, you know, that you, you know, accept Jesus and everything's hunky dory and you go, you, you know, you go every, you go back to living this perfect life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. We're not, we're all imperfect. Right. Right. So, I mean, but the fact of the matter is, is you, you strive for that though. Correct. Like you just don't go back and go, Oh, well that was nice. And then go on about your way. Cause what I find with that is, you know, what prevents you from just living your life entirely how you want. And then right before you're called home going, Oh, I surrender. You're, you know, forgive me, Lord, I accept you into my heart. Mm-hmm. Like, so you lived your whole life without that relationship. And then at the very end, expect it. Right. Like that's like, that's, that's like the, that, that, that would, that's what people would use as the, um, like the loop, right? Like a loophole. The, yeah, here's the loophole mm-hmm. that I, you know, well, if, if all it takes is me just accepting Jesus into my heart as my savior, then I'm going to live my life exactly the way that I want. And then at the very end, profess my love for him. Yeah, there's right? evidence that Constantine did that. Right. He was fully committed to being a son of God worshiper. He enjoyed those practices. And he put off being baptized until pretty close to when he thought he was going to die and then got baptized right. because he didn't, he didn't want to have to change his walk. Right. And that's where, and that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's, and I, I don't know somebody's heart, so I can't sit on the outside and judge anybody for, for professing what they profess. Correct. But what I'm saying is if your mindset is, well, I've asked Jesus into my heart as my Lord and savior, so I'm good. Mm -hmm. I don't need to do anything else. I would say be leery of that mindset. I agree. I think, if you don't have a desire to do more, to, to do things his way, if you have an almost like a hostility toward his instructions, mm-hmm. it's evidence that you haven't been fully transformed yet. I'm not saying that you're not saved. Right. But I am saying that it's evidence that you have, you have some work to be done. There's a, you know, in the spirit of Passover coming up, there's, a, there's an interesting uh, idiomatic picture there. And... Passover is super simple. I think, you know, tradition gets added on top of it and it overcomplicates with the mm-hmm. Seder plate, but it's really simple what he expects. It's a week-long celebration. You eat lamb the first day, you know, for obvious reasons to point to, ultimately to point to our, mm-hmm. our, our lamb, the lamb of God. And you only eat unleavened bread. It's one of the major components for Passover is, is that all your bread has to be un, un, unrisen. There's no leavening agent mm-hmm. in it. And the first thing that you do is you remove leaven from your home. The very first first thing you do in celebrating it biblically, and the biblical mandate is to remove leaven. Now, leaven represents sin. Sin is disobeying his law, right. right? So it's a picture of removing the sin from your life. But it's really, I think, from a modern perspective, we view it a little differently than I think it was intended to be viewed, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. we think of, of leaven and we think, yeast packets and baking soda and things like that. Right. But 
and you know, some of you, you, you know, maybe your grandparents did this. It's not very common to do anymore, but what they would actually do is they would have a, a, a leaven lump, right? They would mm. have a jar and they would have a lump of dough that they would culture because leaven is a bacteria or le- le- the leavening agent's a bacteria that grows. Right. And you would culture that and you would add to it, you know, every time you bake bread, you would add a little bit to it to keep the lump going. Right. Mm. And that lump would be your leavening agent. You would pull a piece off of it and you would knead it into the dough. And that leaven, just a tiny little piece, would spread to the entire batch of dough and leaven the entire the entire bread. Right. All yeah. the bread. Yeah. Right. And, you know, as a side note, they would almost treat this leaven lump almost like an idol because like they would keep it for generations sometimes. Because mm-hmm. like it would with age, it would change the the flavor of the sourdough. So aged leaven lumps that were years old were highly valued. Right. And then you have God saying, every single year, take that leaven lump that you value, throw it away. Throw it away. And then start over fresh when the festival's over. Mm-hmm. And it's a picture. I think we're the jar. And I think the old lump inside the jar is the sin that we've allowed to grow. Because we have that picture there that only takes a little bit. A little bit of that leaven will corrupt the entire batch. Right. It'll, it'll, it'll go through the entire batch. If that's a picture of sin... A little bit of sin will corrupt the entire person if you don't remove it. If you don't from time to time self-evaluate with you as the jar and scrape that, scrape out that old leaven and throw it away. That's a picture to me of sanctification. It's also a picture of the importance of it because if we don't take our sanctification outwardly seriously, then it can corrupt us and it will corrupt us. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So... What does that look like in practice, though? Like, we've talked a lot about, like, word pictures, you know, spiritualizing it. But what does it look like in our actual walk? Right. In Acts chapter 19, we find an interesting thing. So they had, the the, the church was growing, right? They were bringing in a lot of believers. And a lot of these believers were Gentiles who were pagans. They, they were former pagans, and they were they were coming into faith. And a lot of them had been, had been guilty of things like witchcraft and and um, spell casting, things Mm -hmm. like that. And just for clarification, the reason witchcraft is prohibited biblically is because it's tapping into the power of demonic forces. Mm -hmm. It's real. You know, casting spells is just the demon's way of making you feel like that you have some sort of power yourself. So you puff yourself up and make yourself a god. But it's really just tapping into demonic powers. And we know that that's a very real thing because even in Egypt, when God had Moses throw the staff down, it becomes a snake. Their magicians were able to recreate that. Right. They did the exact same thing through demonic power. They were actually able to recreate a couple of the plagues through Mm -hmm. demonic power until you get about halfway through the plagues and then God takes their power away. Doesn't allow them to do it anymore. So it's a real thing. It's not like, it's not some fake thing. It's serious is what I'm trying to say. But we have this early church and it says that they, uh, they brought all their old spell books, anything that was in their home that even gave the appearance of their old evil life, and they burned it. And it says, if I remember right, they tallied up the value of everything they burned, and it was like 50,000 silver coins worth of, worth wow. of in, in value. It's highly, that's a lot back then. Mm-hmm. It's highly valuable what they did. And that's a picture of outward sanctification in our, in our, in our home and in our walk, right? Do you know who Pastor Greg Locke is? 
He's on Facebook a lot. You see him quite I've, a bit. I've heard the name. Yeah. Not too familiar. Not long ago. Well, not long ago, like maybe a year ago, he started planning an event. And it was based around this accountant, Axe. And they were going to bring anything that they had in their homes that was like demonic based, like Ouija boards and stuff like that. And they were going to have a burning, like a public burning on their on their church's property. Right. But when I first saw this, I'd never been convicted about this before. Never. And it's not right. like I'm new to faith. You know me. I've, I've always been a believer. I've been studying the Bible for like 15 years, but I never felt convicted about my hobbies. Right. Never. But something really hit me when I saw that, like in the spirit, that you need to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should. But I think in the back of my mind, I knew what it would mean. Mm-hmm. So I sort of, Steph and I got a little serious about it for a couple of days, and then we let life distract us, and we just sort of dropped it. Well, a few weeks ago, I, I saw it come up again, and he actually had that event. And brother, the spirit hit me hard. You know, I convicted you once. You need to do that. You need to go through your house and see. Just see. Test test your life. Test your home. Right. And see how committed to me you really are and how committed to me you should be. That's what I felt convicted about. And I mentioned it to Steph, and she was feeling the same conviction at the same time. It was weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I'm like, well, I'll get to it tomorrow. And I think you and I both know what that means. I won't get to it at all. Right. I don't want to do it. So I left the room, and by the time I came back in the room, Steph's digging out all the video games and all the movies and everything and, and piling them up. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess we're doing this today. Well, yeah, we're going through with it. Strong, <laughs> strong, see, strong women, man. Yep. I'm thankful for her because she listened and I'll be transparent. I didn't. So when following this conviction, we, we decided to go through our home, everything that we have, mainly focused at the outset, and this story that I'm about to tell, it was mainly focused on, because this is our, 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 our main hobby focus, would be movies, video games, and books. Right. Okay? So we approached everything, every individual thing we had with the rule that if, it's, if it glorifies or endorses or, or overemphasizes anything that God calls profane, abominable, unholy or unpleasing to him it goes in a black trash bag and we dispose of it no questions asked Mm -hmm. and i say this you know you know we agree to this and it's like okay we'll do that that was you know there there were some other things that i'll get to maybe in in a minute that were on a a little bit more questionable that we needed to throw a fleece out on but that's sort of the obvious things right so if it has things like witchcraft in it if it's horror stuff that's very focused on demonic things that you, you don't need to you don't need to open a door for and have in your home zombie stuff you know what i mean and anything i'm sure you know you wouldn't have a problem getting rid of that right yeah chris has never liked zombies well, i was wondering i mean because as long as i've known you you've that's kind of been like some of the games that you've played mm-hmm. are in that genre i'm a huge horror fan right resident evil silent hill all that so, stuff. yeah those are the ones i i couldn't think of the names because i don't play them but yeah and not for those reasons i'm just i'm a big scaredy cat but and, you know and just for some backstory even before this conviction hit you know I, you've probably noticed i used to play games all the time mm-hmm. and i'd be on those type of games and i was getting less and less pleasure in playing games to be honest with you i'd sit down i'd play a game and i just wasn't getting anything out of it so i'd end up turning it off and some of those games I would turn on that I, you know, that I'd always loved, huge fan, huge fan of. Not only was I not getting pleasure, it was just a, a bad feeling I would get from playing mm-hmm. it to the point where I couldn't even play it for more than five or 10 minutes and I just have to turn it off. 
So he was sort of planting the seed for this conviction for a while. Right. First thing she pulls out, hands over to me, Morrowind. Oof. My original copy from when I was a teenager. And I hadn't really even thought about the implication. We set this rule in place that, you know, these are these are the no questions asked categories. Mm. If it has witchcraft, use of magic, and you know, endorses any of that stuff, it's gotta go because he says that stuff is evil and it shouldn't have any place in our in our in our life. And if we take this reference from one Thessalonians seriously, we shouldn't even have the appearance of evil. It's gotta go. And she hands me that and I'm like, I hadn't even considered that. You know, for those of you listening, you know, it's not a big deal to you, but Chris knows. I'm a huge Elder Scrolls fan. Yeah. It's like my favorite thing. You know, I've had an unhealthy, almost idolatrous obsession with it for a long, long time. But it's right, heavily it's the, focused on... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Let's say it's the the game that we kind of always define other, not only other Elder Scrolls games, but games in general. Right. By, yeah. But it's loaded with magic. It's, you know, when you look at the themes, Morrowind's loaded with, with themes of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That endorses that. Skyrim. Yeah. It's another Elder Scrolls game. It's all, you know, you know, you know, absorbing dragon souls. And when you really think about the implications of what is endorsed there, it's not good stuff. When you really think about it biblically, I'm like, well, it's got to go. You know, I, it's got to go. Right. If I'm going to be consistent. So it went in the back. You know, and there were a few other things, you know, The Witcher. Always been big on that. Yeah. It's got to go, including the books. It's got to go. Uh, trying to think of the ones that was really hard. Just to give you an idea of, you know, it can be tough is what I'm trying to say. If you, right. if you do this, you're going to, you're going to see where your heart has really been. Mm-hmm. Right. And I learned some things about myself through the process. And I learned that I was compartmentalizing God. I was keeping him in this category over to the right when it came to my po- my hobbies over here to the left, I was keeping God out of it. Right. And doing things that just aren't good. Taking pleasure in things that he says he hates. Right. Which you shouldn't. So everything horror went, you know, everything with magic and it went. There was a book I had that was from my grandpa. The the one that passed away years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's a book about like mystery, it's mysteries of the unknown, but it's just loaded of account with accounts of like demonic things and ghost sightings and stuff like that. I'm like, it's got to go. You know, what I mean, that's where it gets hard is when you have this nostalgic attachment. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can lead you to hold on to things that you shouldn't. I think of Rachel. Remember that account of Rachel when she's leaving she's leaving her parents' household and she brings the household idols. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's because she was worshiping idols. And we're not told this is my opinion, but I think it's because she was leaving her father's house and she had an emotional attachment to her father through the idols. Mm-hmm. And it led her to hold on to the idol, which wasn't good. Right. You know what I mean? Those emotional attachments that you, 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 you take an object and you create an emotional attachment to a loved one. It can be bad. It can be bad even when the object isn't necessarily mm-hmm. sinful. Right. But I think the enemy tends to create those attachments on objects that he knows the father doesn't like right? to make it harder to get rid of. And that's what he did with me. And, uh, man, the one, and I think it was just because it was emotional all day because I was realizing like it was an all day process, man. Right. It was an all day thing. And I was realizing how much of an idolater I really was and didn't realize it. Right. And I hadn't even thought about it. And Steph drags in the comic book collection. 
and sets it down because she felt convicted. She saw it and she almost didn't show it. She almost just left it in the corner and something convicted her that you've got to bring it out. And she set it down. It's going to sound stupid to some of you listening, but I broke down. I cried because it was just the realization that I had such an attachment to something I shouldn't. Right. You know what I mean? Because you know me. I'm a huge comic, or have been in the past, huge comic mm-hmm. fan. I had signed copies of things. Right. Extremely valuable stuff. You know what I mean? But I'm going through these comics, and I couldn't find one, not one, that didn't have objectification of women in it, or witchcraft in it, or transhumanism in it, or just, just vile imagery. I couldn't find a single one I could hold on to without being a hypocrite. Right. By the time it was all said and done, I bet we had 15 large black trash bags full of movies, books, and games that were just not good. That's what sanctification looks like outwardly. And it's not easy. Especially when you're somebody like me who's had too much of an attachment on things like that at a very young age. And it's hard to break. Right. It's really hard to break. The, you know, the tougher one was the the things that are a little bit debatable in, well, I guess, a gray area. One of those is if it's based on a deception, it's not based on something that explicitly he says is abominable, but it's based on a worldview that's, an, that's a deception clearly intended to lead people away from God or away from belief in God to be specific aliens. I was going to say, cause you, you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned in our private talk aliens mm-hmm. and, uh, which led me to, I know you had a extensive Futurama mm-hmm. and I assume that went and halo and halo. I had original copies of that, and realistically, my my emotional attachment to original copies of things, even if it even if it hadn't had content that was bad, the attachment to objects was right. But we were sort of debating that, like like where do we draw the line, right? Mm-hmm. If it's if it's deception, is this something that he wants us to take pleasure in? And I kid you not, this was a really cool story. I just wanted to add this to it. So we're we're sort of on the fence, and we pray. You know, give us some sort of confirmation. What do you want from us? Because we want, we're committed. We're, we're proven to you we're committed. We're willing. I'm crying over comic books. <laughs> right. I'm willing to let this stuff go because right. I want to make you happy. I want to be sanctified for you. I want to be to a yeah. place where I'm available to be consecrated. Yeah, show us your will. Right. And I, I just want to make that clear. The purpose of this, you cannot be available to be consecrated by him for a higher purpose if you don't go through the sanctification process outwardly. It starts inwardly, but it has to end outwardly. Mm -hmm. Isaiah couldn't get to the point, to hearken back to Isaiah chapter 6, he couldn't get to the point of, who are we going to send? Of saying, Hineni Shlekani, here I am, send me. That's very emphatic. It's Mm -hmm. very emphatic. You see Hineni throughout the text, just means here am I. Abraham says it, Um, Moses, he says it when, when God calls out from the bush, Samuel says it. To my understanding, Isaiah is the only one that adds shlekani to the end of it, which means send me exclamation point. That means send me. I want to go. Not I guess I'll go or I could go. It's send me. I want to go. I'm willing. Mm -hmm. 
But if we want to be sent by him, we have to be sanctified by him too. With that burning coal, and that has to lead to something outward in our walk. That's where the whole point of this is. But anyway, back to the the deception thing. That was really our our biggest debate that day was, where do we draw the line on deception? Mm-hmm. If it's based on deception, should we have it? Right? Right. And there was this devotion book that I had downstairs. And it doesn't really even matter what one it was. It was just, a, it was a daily devotional, right? A year-long daily devotional. Mm-hmm. And you know me, I take meticulous care of things I have, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't even like bending pages. Yeah. Right? Meticulous care. But at some point, this book had gotten shoved in the bookshelf with a smaller book that got shoved in the middle of it. So it like cut in midway through this book. And that's very unusual for me to have something like that and not notice it. I don't know how right. long it had been like that. I don't even know how it got that to that point. I can tell you I didn't do it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I Side note, like, like I lived with you for a time. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, we're talking like... So we had he had a matching set of don't tell like, me too hard. No, you know, so the kitchen set had a matching set of like canisters, and they all have like a John. It was John Deere stuff, and it had a John Deere. And so Carl had these all lined up on the counter, <laughs> and I would, because I knew how he is, and this is just speaks to the meticulousness of it. I would go through and just like turn one just a couple degrees but it was enough to where he would walk by it and he would you'd see it like immediately yeah like that's so out of place and you had to fix it and i knew and i it drive me nuts yeah it would and you're like you didn't wreck the friendship yeah i'm joking i'm surprised i was gonna say to how our friendship survived so many years i don't know because (laughs) we would do stuff like that to each other all the time i'm just showing you that like that's that's the level of of, yeah that's level of like there wouldn't be a, a book out of place. Right. right. I take care of stuff and I notice it. Right. But I didn't notice this and I didn't really even notice it until we were going through the books. So we had the books piled up too. Because mm-hmm. I had books I shouldn't have because my, you know, I had this mindset and I will caution people on this because I think it's, I don't think it's good. I had this mindset that if I want to properly witness for God, I have to study all these other belief systems and stuff. Right. Right. So I had books on shamanism, like all kinds, like I had a Quran, I had all kinds of things that I don't think you should have in your home. Right. I'll be honest. After the conviction that he put me through, I don't think he wants it in your home because I think it opens. I think it opens doors. Right. I really do. Um, that's just a side note. But anyway, we had the books piled up because we were going through them, and then I noticed this book that was had something else shoved into it. So I opened up where the book was shoved in because it it just demolished one page in there. So it opened right up to this midway through this daily devotion in there. I just happened to open it, and. Uh, <laughs> I read the devotion and it's literally a devotion about how God hates deception and wants deception out of your life. And that was literally the question we'd asked, where do we draw the line? Because some of these things aren't explicitly unlawful, but it's built upon, we even use the word deception. So we need to throw out a fleece. And five minutes later, no joke, man, five minutes later, I open that up. And that's where it had been shoved open to was wow. a, a reference on how he hates deception and he wants us to cut deception out of our life. Okay. So all that stuff went. And there was a couple points where things like that happened. Like at one point, there was a, a book that uh, we had bought Grace at some point, I think. And just by the title, I didn't know what the content was like. 
And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I asked Steph, I don't know what this is. Is it something that has anything that we shouldn't? She's like, I don't know. Open it randomly. See if he shows you something. No joke. I opened it randomly. And the first thing I see is a quote from a medium, a character in the book that's a medium. Gone. Gone. Yeah. It was like weird things like that happened throughout the day, throughout the process. But it's important. And that's, I'll open this up to you if you have any thoughts or anything, because I know you wanted, you wanted to talk about this also, or maybe you just wanted to hear the story. I don't yeah, know. no, no, I, the, yeah, it was more of the story, what brought you to it, um, what, you know, kind of like, basically like how you framed the decision, which is everything you've described. Right. Because it, I mean, it was, I, I remember the, the, the background conversation was, you know, we were talking about what what video games we were planning to play. Mm-hmm. And one of them, like the day before you were like, yeah, let's get on there and play this. And then this happened. And then I, I had mentioned something about buying that game. And then you were like, well, I'm not going to be, I, I'm not going to be joining you on that game, but I'll join you on another game. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I guess I'll just throw it out there. It's destiny. You, yeah. you said, I'm the I'm witch not, queen. Yeah, though I'm not gonna buy the the newest expansion, and I was like, okay, well I'm not gonna buy it either. Yeah, <laughs> but just out of curiosity, why? And then that's kind of what led to because it was like, like I mean, like a hard shift, you know, downshift mm-hmm. in gears. I thought I was that's because because then you said, well, Destiny's not the only thing, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why, you know? Yeah. Why is why is you know? And then it got it got me to thinking. Well, what? what led to such a hard shift. It happened quick. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because that does testify to how how fast his conviction can work mm-hmm. if you make yourself available for it. Right. And that's that's the important thing is being available to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And And being open to defining your life, every inch of it, every ounce of it, defining your life around his word and his will and not looking at anything through the through the lens of the the enemies did God really say? Right. Because that's what I had done. I, had, I I'll I'll be honest. I had compartmentalized, like I mentioned. I'd blinded myself to how wrong this stuff was. And you know, I think you know, like the seeds of conviction had been there for a while. Because I'd even gotten to a point where when I would play Elder Scrolls, I would intentionally like not do things in the game that disobeyed the law. Right. Like I wouldn't use magic. Wouldn't even eat unclean <laughs> in the game. Right. You know what I mean? Like just, but that's not enough. I'm, I'm still taking pleasure in something that sort of glorifies stuff that he doesn't approve of. Right. And, you know, no matter how you play games like that, when the whole premise of the game is built around concepts like reincarnation or or borderline adoration of dragons, and you know what I'm saying? And, right. and um, demonic false gods, when it's loaded with that kind of stuff, the only way to really remove yourself from it is to remove it all together. Mm-hmm. And I think the takeaway is that God won't share a space. He doesn't. He, he, he won't share a space with evil, with what he calls evil, right? Right. At some point, I'm not saying he abandons you, but at some point he's going to convict you. If he right. wants to use you and you're sharing a space, he's going to convict you that, look, it's got to go. This has to go. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to share space with this. You can either go the easy way or the hard way, mm. but one way or the other, it's going to go. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember too, that, you know, he didn't, 
you weren't convicted to kick, you know, books or TV or movies or video games out of your life. It was the manner of those genres that that needed to be evaluated. Yes, right? the specific ones. Like yeah. You can like it's not you know, in and of itself, video games aren't sinful, unless they take the place of, you know, if they if they're taking precedent over worshiping him mm-hmm. but but that can be anything but that can like be anything reading. right right we're just because video games are common thing you know common oh man what's the word oh no i'm gonna get the music hobby God, thank you yeah okay. common hobby common interest yeah um i won't give you the music i promise yeah that was that was too quick you yeah. helped me out on that i appreciate that <laughs> since video games are common hobby we're just using that example but the manner in video games that you play Mm-hmm. You know, because like I, I say, it wasn't just video games. That's just it's the easiest thing to point out because, like you said, right. it's it's easy to identify, and mm-hmm. you know, you know what I'm what I'm getting at because you you see it. I don't know. He like I say, he doesn't he doesn't share space. And do you remember several weeks ago, several months ago, actually, probably I I shared the difference between God at the center of a circle mm-hmm. and God at the top of a list. Yep, I think this it's one of my favorite. One of my favorite analogies. Yes, I love it too. And I, 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 it was Micah. That's where I first heard that from. So I don't take credit for that. But it's really changed my perspective on things since I did hear it. Because I always, I always pattern my life after the the list paradigm. I have God at the top, so I'm good. I do the things. I check the boxes, so I'm good. So if I move down to number two on the list and I'm playing video games as a hobby, it doesn't matter how godless it is, right? Right. I had God at the top of the list. What difference does it make? Right? He's my number one. Mm-hmm. But when you shift your paradigm to viewing everything through the lens of God, not the enemies, did God really say question, but him and his ways, no matter what you're looking at, right? You're not shifting away from him because you're further down on the list. You're looking at everything through the lens of him and his ways. What would be left? You see what I mean? Right. Like when you when you when you look at, at your behavior through the lens of God, when you look at your actions through the lens of God, your words through the lens of God, your hobbies through the lens of God, what would survive? Right? And I think that's what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. We need to be if we want to be available to be commissioned by him for something bigger than ourselves, we have to be willing to look at everything through the lens of his ways and be willing to, to shed anything that doesn't make the cut. Right. Because anytime we look at something, no matter how much we love it or enjoy it or take pleasure in it, if we look at something through the lens of God and he says no, and we say yes, we're disobeying him Mm -hmm. and he will discipline that may not cast you off for that but you're not going to be a, you're not going to be available to reach the next level yet right and i think we should all be aspiring to reach the next level not do what we kind of talked about earlier off podcast and sort of wearing our brokenness like a badge of honor and remaining there and never making progress right never walking forward with him 
I'm going to end with a couple analogy. I'll, 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 I'm going to share this analogy, then I'll give you time and space for your final thought, and then I want to share a final analogy, final little. I told you I was kind of excited to share something that, mm-hmm. that he laid on me. It's kind of a parable, but to close my own thoughts out on the on the the sanctification of this outward process and why it matters. Do you know anything about Roman wine? Mm-mm. Roman wine production. I'm not going to get too deep into it because I don't want to get into the weeds, but what they would do is they would sweeten it with something called sapa. And essentially what sapa is, is it's, it's grape concentrate. Okay. So they would boil down grape concentrate and they would add it to their wine to sweeten the flavor. Well, at some point they had discovered that if they lined the jars that they boiled the, the grape juice down into, if they lead lined the jars, lined it in lead, that the lead would cook off into the grape juice and make it even sweeter. Lead has a sweet taste. So they would add that to their wine. We know now that lead poisoning is extremely dangerous mm-hmm. and it can actually affect your mental health over time. Right? Right. They actually credit the insanity of many of the emperors with this ongoing lead poisoning because they would ingest a lot of this because they had the wealth to. The, some scholars actually, or historians, I guess, actually estimate that some of the more wealthy Romans ingested up to 230 milliliters of lead poisoning per day. Per day. Wow. The reason I bring this up, it's a little bit of corruption. It tasted good. It was pleasing to them, but it was slowly killing them. It was killing their mental state. Mm-hmm. It was killing the way they viewed the world. It was destroying them as a person, but it tasted good. And that's the danger of engaging in these hobbies that are loaded with things that he calls of the enemy. They're not of him, they're of the enemy. They're fun at the time. They give us pleasure at the time, but slowly, I think, they're corrupting us. And slowly, spiritually, I think, they're killing us. And the solution isn't to add a little bit less lead so you're not quite so poisoned by it, right? The solution isn't to drink a little bit less wine that's lead poisoned. The solution is to stop putting lead in it, right? Right. To cut mm-hmm. the lead out. And if the only way to cut the lead out is to cut the wine out, cut the wine out, mm. right? I think we need to apply the same principle to our sanctification process. If I was going to encourage people and I know that it's difficult. It was difficult for me, but I highly encourage you, go through your home. Go through your practices. Go through your hobbies. Go through everything. Everything in your life. View everything through the lens of God. The whole lens of God. Not a cherry-picked lens of God that you heard preached on Sunday. The whole lens of God. And if he calls something sinful or unholy or impure or abominable, cut it out and see what will be left. But I promise you, if you follow through on it, if you obey him on it, you're going to see him move in your life in ways that you never thought possible. I promise you, you're going to see him work. You're going to see him con- convict you on other things. You're going to see him confirm things to you in ways that are just clearly supernatural. You're going to see him move, not with worldly success stories, but you're going to see a relationship between yourself and your father blossom like never before. If you commit to the process. So do you have any final thoughts before I share my last little? No, I mean, that's, it's, it's funny. You mentioned, you know, creeping slowly over time, you know, that's cause that was going to kind of be 
you know, what I, what I was taking away from that is, you know, you, you know, some of that, some of those collections you were, you know, you had those original copies from when you were a teenager and mm-hmm. before. So, you know, so that's talk about a slow creep, you know, until we get to the point where we're, you know, like you said, we're poised to, to, to buy a game called the witch queen. You know what I mean? Like that's, and I'm not, and don't get me wrong. I'm not attacking anyone. No, I'm no, just saying, never mind. But I'm just, I'm just saying like, you know, that's the, you know, where, where things where you wouldn't have found an overt theme, you suddenly find them. Yeah. But also too, the, the heartbreak that you would have felt at one point by getting rid of something that was that you had associated with a good childhood memory you didn't feel that pain the pain you felt was that that had that you had had such an emotional connection to that object right so it's i think it's important like if you did that with if you had done that with the with a a a different intent the sorrow you would have felt was like, say if you were, you know, you were just, you'd looked around your house and said, oh, we got too much stuff. We got to get rid of stuff and then got rid of it under that aspect of it. Then, yeah, then you would have wept for the nostalgia that you're throwing away. Right. Whereas this God replaced that with sorrow that you had formed that attachment, but he was also there with you saying, it's okay that I understand you've had this attachment. We're getting rid of it. I'm freeing you from it. Right. Like he's not, he's so it's you were things that you would thought would have been hard, weren't hard, but they give you different emotions because of it. Yes. He took right? things. Yeah. He took things that, that I had an unhealthy attachment to an object or to other people through and replaced it with a deeper attachment to him. Right. Which is what I should have been seeking all along. And, you know, I was, I was, I guess I just didn't know how to really seek it. Mm -hmm. Or I was, like I say, blinding myself to it, which is the whole point of conviction. Conviction doesn't feel good at the time, but the end result is a deeper connection to him. And that's the end goal. And that, that should be what we're striving for. I know that's what I'm living my life for now. I don't want these other things anymore. Like, I don't know. The, the closer you get to him, it's indescribable. You can't yeah. put words to it. I mean, he's our he's our bridegroom. Mm-hmm. If there was something putting a wedge between you and Stephanie, you'd remove it. Yeah. So different. Yep. So to the theme of attachments, we have a new puppy. Oh, okay. So yeah, we saw, we saw the pictures, Yeah. Um, but we were, I was confused because I was, I, I thought it was a memory because it's a red Husky, right? No, she's actually a, uh, uh, a great Pyrenees, but when they're young, they do look like Husky. So it looks like Namiri. That's probably what you thought. Okay, it was, yeah. Was that's old... what I thought it was a memory of, yeah. but Holly was like, no, it's new. I'm like, that's not a new puppy. That's yeah. <laughs> To those of you listening, years and years ago, we had a we had a Siberian Husky named Nymeria that that she died of parvo. But we 
recently bought a Great Pyrenees. Okay. And we've had her for a few weeks now. Yeah. She's still a puppy. Yeah. Super cute. Hadassah. Much yeah. more biblical name this time. There you go. I love it. And going to be... She's going to get big. Great yeah. Pyrenees are big. They do get big, yeah. yeah. she's a She was the run of the litter, but I don't think... Yeah. I don't think that's going to affect her growth. It even, looks like even, she's going to get pretty even big. Even Great Pyrenees runts are big. They're yeah. big, yeah. But a good family so dog, awesome. too. They're great. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting. No, bro, Please tell good. your story. No, you're good. <laughs> I'm excited. I, we had great, I had a Great Pyrenees at one point. but So he hit me with this. The spirit hits me with weird things at weird times. Mm-hmm. But this was super cool, I thought. I was walking her. And you have dogs. Mm-hmm. When you walk your dogs, who determines the route? Who ultimately has control over the route? You do. You do. You may allow your dog to lead at certain points. But at some point, at at some point in the walk, you're gonna take control and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna direct the course. Mm-hmm. Right. Recently I had talked about that, how he was teaching me how he directs our steps. Mm-hmm. And I guess I didn't I was struggling with explaining what I meant by that. Right. Mm -hmm. I know in my heart what it means, but it's hard to put it into words. Right. I think walking a dog is a really good picture of what I'm talking about. Because I think that we're like dogs on a leash with God as the master. He directs our steps. He directs the route that we take. And we may have some slack in the leash, but we have some room to sort of explore at the master's discretion, but he's mm-hmm. in control, right? He's in control of the direction that we go. He plans the course. We may fight the leash at times, like a puppy being trained, mm-hmm. right? But he's the one that patiently coaxes his back in line. He may allow us to fight it for a minute, but at some point he's going to pull us back in line, right? Right. And if we get too unruly, he may need to utilize a prong collar to train us. For those of you listening, if you don't know, a prong collar is a collar that has like literal prongs on it. It's not uncomfortable to wear, but it's uncomfortable when the dog pulls against the lead, right. when pressure is applied. The point is to, to train the dog into no longer fighting you. Right. Right. And it, also, too, they, they look brutal. But they don't stab, they pinch. They pinch. And when they pinch, it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. But discipline's not comfortable. It's meant to discipline the dog into following the master's lead. I promise you, he put a prong collar on me at <laughs> multiple points in my walk because I needed it. It's a form of discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he utilizes that discipline on us at times. And I think we can connect that to that Cherokee parable I told in the beginning. The two wolves. Mm-hmm. I think we're one of those two wolves. Right? right? We become the wolf we feed. Right. If we feed the evil wolf, we become the evil wolf. If we feed the good wolf, we become the good wolf. Right? Right. And the good wolf surrenders to the master's leash. Right? Mm-hmm. May need training, may need discipline, but they get led along the pre-planned route they'll see evidence that he's directing their steps. Mm -hmm. The wicked wolf runs from the call of the master. They don't surrender to the leash. They run from it. 
They're not even on the leash anymore. They're running. And they run their own way into calamity. And by the way, they don't have to be a non-believer. You can profess belief in the master and refuse to surrender to the master's leash. Mm -hmm. You can always return. You can always surrender to the leash. But you have to let him lead you. They don't see evidence that the master is directing their course because they're not on the course with them. They're not walking with them. I wanted to add that because I think there's a danger in, in the way I had presented him directing our steps into taking that to believe that he he intentionally designs evil. Right? Right. That he plans out the course of evil people. He will drag evil people along, right, mm -hmm. to certain places to judge them or to lead them to repentance, but he doesn't he doesn't plan evil for them. Right. He doesn't plan evil for them to do. Right. They're not walking with him. Mm -hmm. The ones surrendered to his leash are walking with him. And I think connecting this to what we've talked about, I think this paints a picture of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. The dog's not blind, right? Right. Dog isn't closing their eyes while they're walking. With the master, they fight against the leash sometimes, like a puppy chasing squirrels. I think we do that sometimes. Blindness and sight, it's not necessarily the problem. It's allowing what we see to rule our actions. We see a squirrel, so we try to run after the squirrel when the master says no. So the master has to yank the leash to pull us back on course. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Walking by faith is trusting the master in spite of what you see. A seasoned and mature dog in step with their master totally trusting in his lead is walking by faith, not by sight. They can see. They can see the master, but they're walking by faith in the master. You may not even see where he's leading you. Right From his vantage point, he may see in the distance that you can't see from your vantage point below him. But you trust where he's leading you. And you walk alongside him. And eventually, when fully trained and proven, you may not even need a leash anymore. A fully trained dog doesn't need a leash. Right? If they're a fully trained and trainable dog who surrenders themselves to the process and learns, mm -hmm. eventually you might be able to trust your dog to just walk alongside you. If they chase something, you can just call back to them and they'll run back to you. That's what the master wants for us. That's the purpose of this sanctification process. He wants us trained up with him so that eventually we don't even need the leash. We don't need the prong collar. We don't need the discipline. He can trust us as we trust him to walk alongside him. And when we run off, to just hear his voice calling us back and return to his side. Sometimes he'll let us run off to play a little bit. As long as we're not doing anything we shouldn't be doing, and if we engage in something we shouldn't be engaging in, and he calls out, we run back. That's what a proven, trustworthy, trained-up dog looks like, and that's what we should look like if we're surrendered to the process. So I guess I just want to end with, on the heels of that parable, I guess you call it a parable? Analogy? Yeah. Analogy. Analogy. Parable. Analogy. I, I want to said heels like heel dog sorry <laughs> i don't think that was intended but that's i thought that 
I thought that it might have been intended, but she kind of glazed over it. So it yeah, wasn't. I don't think but I meant I'm, to say that. I'm gonna call. I'm yeah, call thanks for out. thanks for calling that out. I guess I just I I guess I want those of you listening to ask yourself: Where are you at in your walk? Are you walking with the master, or are you fighting against his lead? Where are you at, and where should you be at? And how do you get there? Do you have any final thoughts? No. Just want to close with this final reference. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, and it says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. To those of you on the other side of the mic, thank you so much for listening and including us in your day. Before you go, don't forget to follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes. Also, feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback, questions, or discussion ideas you might have. Links are in the description. Additionally, if you can't get enough of my voice, search for the Broken Record Ministries podcast for more content for your ear holes. As always, this has been that Philly Faith podcast encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly Faith. Until next time, Shalom. Bless. Singing glory.